This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Book Club podcast. I am Bex and I love books. I've got lots of stuff happening in today's show, including chatting to authors like A.M. Howell, David Solomons and Christopher Edge. But first, I thought I'd ask you my book question. Today's is this. How many words are there in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Are there A, 76,944, B, 100,002, or C, 54,032? It's tricky, I know. Don't worry, I'll tell you the answer at the end of the show. First up, let's have a little chat with A.M. Howell, shall we? Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming by Fun Kids. Now, you are here to talk about your very first book, is that right? I am. My first book, The Garden of Lost Secrets, which is just about to come out. So tell us a little bit about it. So the book is a historical mystery set during the First World War, and it's about a girl called Clara who goes to stay with her aunt and uncle in the grounds of a country estate. And when she arrives there, she finds lots of mysterious things are going on. There's a locked door and a hidden key and a boy in the gardens that she can only see at night and she's got a secret of her own and it's one she keeps in her pocket it's about her brother who is away fighting during the war and so the whole book is about her uncovering all the secrets of the gardens and finding out the biggest mystery of all who is stealing the earl's pineapples from the hothouses <gasps> what a mystery da, da, da. the yes, earl's pineapple exactly. i didn't even know they had pineapples in world war 1 yes they did they did and they've been they've been growing them um, for quite a long time in country houses it's a real sort of status symbol to grow pineapples now very very difficult to grow so quite often you'll see sort of pineapple statues or um, pineapples on pillars when you go to a country house and that's a sign that the people there used to grow pineapples this is interesting okay so would you've had to do your research about world war one and pineapples and all the things in between i did lots of research and i ate a huge number of pineapples when i was doing my research (laughs) as well which wasn't bad that was a really good side of the research yes we did lots of research into world war one and also the history of pineapple growing and where they came from and how to grow them and i've even got my my own pineapple at home that I'm trying to keep alive but they're very very difficult very temperamental plants I did not know you could grow them in England at all you can but you have to keep them inside obviously and keep them very warm but they, I'm not very successful at growing them so I definitely won't be a pineapple grower that's not my new career I think I'll stick as an author that's fair enough I think that's probably the best what's Clara like as a character to write was she fun because I guess she goes on a bit of an adventure she must have like you know, having a, having a secret is always exciting as a character. It is. She was a really, really fun character to write. And she's got all these internal secrets and then arrives to find there are even more secrets. So it's a very multi-layered story. And that's what was so fun to kind of work out how all these intricacies of how the stories would fit together and how all the secrets would unravel. And hopefully it's a really good conclusion at the end and the readers will be satisfied that they've found out what the secrets all meant. Now, am I right in thinking this was inspired by a notebook that you found? It is. I didn't find it personally, but it's a really good story. The um, The book is based um, on a country house called Ickworth, which is in Suffolk, near right. where I live, now run by the National Trust. And on a very wet day, the gardeners were having a clear out in their sheds. And behind the filing cabinet, they found a notebook. And when they opened it, they found it was 100 years old. Wow. And it belonged to a gardener who used to work on the estate. And this idea really captivated me. And in the notebook, I imagined all sorts of really amazing things, maybe pictures of the gardens or secrets of the person that worked there. But I found out it was actually lists of types of fruit and it was 240 different types of fruit and veg that were grown there 100 years ago. And I thought it was lovely, but I was also slightly disappointed and thought great story about finding the notebook but maybe there's another story here that I can write maybe there's a story here about a notebook and a boy who keeps secret thoughts in his notebook and even bigger secret things and that's where the idea came from oh right so had you always wanted to write a book you just weren't too sure 
which place to take it in and then suddenly this came to you and you were like World War One, that's the place to be yeah I think I started doing some research into the history of the gardens and Ickwith itself and found out lots of interesting things about the home front war on the home front mm-hmm. and um, what happened was the Earl would allow the Suffolk Regiment to come and practice firing their rifles on the estate oh. um, to give them practice before they went off to the front to fight and it must have been very scary in this very rural Suffolk area to suddenly hear all this gunfire going off and I had this vision of this young girl in the gardens hearing the gunfire and seeing the pineapples being grown and the story just started to all really come together all these elements just piled in and I just kind of rushed home to start writing really Was Clara just in your head straight away? She was she was definitely in my head as somebody that was struggling with a secret somebody that wanted to be brave that wasn't because her father is currently recovering from gas poisoning so he's sort of out of the picture and she's very worried about him and worried about her brother and has lots of worries and it's about her coming to terms with this and her own life and her own abilities to get through life. If I was you researching this, I would have just gone to loads of stately homes and been like, oh, it's fine. I'm here for research. Sorry, guys. And pretended to live in them, basically. Yeah, I did do a bit of that. Did you? <laughs> I did, particularly with the hothouses, because hothouses were a big feature in the book, and they are in the book a lot. And I went to Cambridge Botanical Gardens, where they've got an amazing hothouse. And they don't grow pineapples there, sadly, but it's really, really lovely place to go and visit. It's very hot and humid and very tropical inside. And I wanted to go in and sort of feel what my characters were feeling in the book. And it was the amazing experience to go in there and listen to the drips of condensation and feel the warmth and it really helped me write the story so I think when I do research I love to go to a place and actually feel the place yeah and that really helps me write the book and do you think Clara will be back for any more adventures do you feel like she might come come join you again never say never mm-hmm. you have to wait and read the end of the book and see what happens at the end hopefully the ending's quite satisfying but um I have got another book due to come out next year with Osborne which is again historical fiction setting right. Edwardian Cambridge oh, okay um so that one's going to come out next year Oh, that's exciting. That's a bit of a tease for us. I can't say too much more about it at the moment. It's currently being read by my editor, so I don't want to give too much away. That's fair enough. We'll have you back for that one. It's yeah, fine. definitely come back. And uh, I do a little thing with authors where I do a quick fire round of questions just to get a feel for you as an author and just, you know, figure out where you're at, if that's OK. Lovely. Far away. Excellent. So first up, super easy. Books or Kindles? Books. Yeah, everyone says that. Every Straight time. Away. Books. Heroes or villains? Heroes. OK. Would you prefer this is more of a garden question? Paved over patio or a grassy lawn? Paved over patio. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And I thought from your garden background you'd go no, for No, we've it. just moved to a really modern house with a paved over patio. Okay. And astroturf. <laughs> astroturf. <laughs> uh, film adaptation or TV adaptation? TV adaptation. Mm. Writing or reading? Oh, that's so hard. That's impossible. I know it's both. It's got both? to be both. Writing and reading. Sorry. I find that really difficult, that one. Yeah. Emma Carroll or Catherine Rundle? Oh, no, another really <laughs> terrible one. Terrible one. Um, Catherine Rundle. Catherine Rundle. I'll let her know. Hogwarts or Narnia? Narnia. Narnia. A laptop or write by hand? Laptop. Bookshop visit or school tour? Again, impossible. The school tours I've done this week have been amazing, so I, I can't pick. It's got to be bookshop. Bookshop, And okay. a school tour. Okay, the same time. Same time. At the same time. That's fine. Roald Dahl or Jacqueline Wilson? Oh, Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Yeah. Do you write nine to five or do you write whenever you fancy? Whenever I fancy. Oh, what a lovely thing to do. And finally, the big one. This is the most important question. Salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Oh, cheese and onion every oh, time. No! Yes! You're doing so well until then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you off, though, because you've written a good book, so it's totally fine. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you win that one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to chat to us. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. And no problem at all. And good luck with the next one. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much to AM Howell for popping by, fun kids. Next up, it's time to welcome Imogen into the studio. Hello, Imogen. Hello, Bex. What are your book recommendations? 
recommendations for us this week. Alright, we'll dive right in. The first one is Warrior Monkeys and the Volcano Adventure by MC Stevens. So, in this book, you meet uh, our brave uh, duo called Suki and Beko, who are monkeys, and they're in training to become warrior monkeys uh, with the help of uh, an armoured bear called Kuma, and um, they are training to be uh, ready to face any challenges that may threaten the safety of their home, which is called Shanty Island. Uh, now, if you are really a fan of like martial arts and karate or uh, like Aikido, uh, you're going to love this book um, because MC Stevens is a martial arts expert. And so he's very cleverly weaved this in yeah. to the old... Uh, plot um so using the skills that they learn during their training they show um determination and focus and bravery and uh, they want to become true warrior monkeys now when the shanty islands are under threat the warrior monkeys have to come to the rescue no one knows what is behind the strange clouds and earthquakes and is it an old enemy seeking revenge who knows uh, but suki and becco have to test out their warrior skills and save their home and their friends from a deadly volcano it is a race against time and it is a thrill bex oh it looks good as well actually it looks quite fun doesn't it yeah it's so fun and it's got great illustrations and you know i love a picture you love pictures and at the beginning it has pictures of all the different characters so uh, you get a real sense of the characters and what they're like and what they look like and you can properly visualise it in your head that is cool Uh, brilliant okay so what's up next number two is What's That in Dog Years by Ben Davis so uh, this book is about a boy called George and his dog Gizmo and they've been together ever since George was born uh, and Gizmo is his best pal um, doggy pal and Gizmo has always been a really fun happy adventurous dog um, but George has noticed that he slightly uh, started to slow down a little Um, and after a trip to the vets uh, George realises that dog years aren't the same as human years so dogs don't live as long as humans so they start to create a bucket list for gizmo and they go through this book doing all the things uh that are really fun for dogs and for humans and um they want to do all the things that sounds like a sad but happy book yes yeah okay that's exactly what it is it's a sad but happy book um it's a really really lovely story it managed to be silly and funny as well as uh, very touching and there's like a couple of like darker moments and sadness but it does it in a really good balance um and it is just a, a very lovely book and if you love dogs like us yeah you're gonna love it perfect all right uh, brilliant that is uh, one on my list as well uh, the next one oh that looks interesting it is interesting <laughs> so uh this book is the Lost Tide Warriors by Catherine Doyle, which is a follow-on from The Stormkeeper's Island, from Catherine Doyle. <laughs> uh, now, in The Stormkeeper's Island, uh, the first book, it follows uh, Finn, who is sent to the island of Aranmore with his sister Tara when his mum becomes too ill to care for them, um, and they get sent to go and stay with his granddad. Now, Finn's granddad is the Stormkeeper of Aranmore, the island. 
and he is the maker of storms and wielder of magic that protects against darkness and sorcery. Um, and with Finn's arrival, the darkness starts to kind of awaken and um, Finn has to learn how to become a uh, stormkeeper, basically, uh, for when his granddad leaves his position as Stormkeeper and then Finn takes over. Sure, sure. Right, so, fast forward into this book. Um, Finn has been the Stormkeeper of Aranmore for less than six months uh, when lots of terrifying beings arrive on the island called Soulstalkers, <laughs> which sound pretty hideous. Quite scary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are quite empty-eyed and... Um, you can, you can imagine. Anyway, um, so they are the followers of a dreaded sorceress called Morrigan. Don't get confused with Morrigan Crow. Different book. Okay, good to know, yes. Yeah, different book. Anyway, they are there to raise their leader and Finn is a bit powerless to stop them. And uh, it's all about him relying on his friends uh, to help summon a army to help combat the soul stalkers uh, whilst his granddad's memory is waning so it can't juice him for all of his knowledge um, and it's just a wonderful book that includes sorcery and adventure and all the good things and it has recommendations from like every author under the sun so I would go and read it if <laughs> so I were you it must be good Yeah. Uh, okay cool that sounds awesome uh, what is up next? Next up is The House of Light. I've heard good things about this. By Julia Green. Yeah. yeah this is also a very, very good book. So let me set the scene. Um, so Bonnie lives on a nameless island. Um, and on this island, there are border guards um, to keep inhabitants uh, kind of trapped there. And it's surrounded by a supposedly poisonous sea. Now, um, Bonnie is scavenging on a beach one day when she finds a battered old rowing boat and under the boat there is a barefooted boy who is cold and hungry and he needs some help uh, now Bonnie gives him this help and uh, that's not allowed um, so she does her best to keep the boy hidden from all the border guards um, and as their suspicions start to grow and it gets harder to uh, keep the boy and the boat and everything hidden she wonders if it's time to escape the life she's always known and set sail for the house of light in search of new beginnings and a sense of hope and this is a beautifully written book with a very hopeful message and um also it kind of uh talks in a way about kind of a, the refugee situation that's going on in the world at the moment um so it's a very interesting book and i would recommend excellent okay and what is the final one in your collection the final one is really six in one. Oh wow i've been cheeky you have uh so there is a new book which isn't so new but it's called the flat stanley collection so you might have heard of Flat Stanley. I have, yeah. He's a bit of a ledge. Yeah. Um, and there are six Flat Stanley books in this one book. So in the Flat Stanley collection, you have Flat Stanley, Stanley and the Magic Lamp, Invisible Stanley, Stanley's Christmas Adventure, Stanley in Space, and Stanley Flat Again. <laughs> and uh, basically, you get all the wonderful Flat Stanley novels in one quite large but very yeah. handy book. Um, if you don't know the story of Flat Stanley, Flat Stanley 
a big painting kind of picture board thing falls on him in the night time um, and he survives <laughs> He he's like oh oh no but then he's, he's just flat He's now flat. Uh, and there is a little bit of the book that I'm going to read to you because it's really great and kind of tells you what it's about. The examination was almost over. So mm-hmm. in the book, Flat Sally's taken on to the doctor. Sure. She's been flattened. flattened yeah. Anyway, the examination was almost over. How do you feel, Dr. Dan asked? Does it hurt very much? I felt sort of tickly for a while after I got up, Stanley Lambchop said, but I feel fine now. Well, that's mostly how it is with these cases, said Dr. Dan. We'll just have to keep an eye on this young fellow, he said when he had finished the examination. Sometimes we doctors, despite all our years of training and experience, can only marvel at how little we really know. Mrs Lambchop said she thought that Stanley's clothes would have to be altered by the tailor now, so Dr Dan told his nurse to take Stanley's measurements. Mrs Lambchop wrote them down. Stanley was four feet tall, about a foot wide and half an inch thick. And that really tells the story of Flat Stanley. He can fit in an envelope. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for that. So those are my five books. Excellent. Thank you so much, Imogen. We will see you very soon. Bye. Next up, we're going to have a little chat to David Solomons. I'm joined in the studio by my old friend, David Solomons. Hello. (laughs) Hello. It's lovely to be back. Thank you so much for coming by. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got a brand new book out in your series, My Cousin is a Time Traveller. Yes, indeed. This uh, is it. Number five, the fifth and final book in the series. I was going to say, this is the last one. It is, yes. This is the big hurrah, big, big goodbye. Big send off. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's both fantastic because I get to I get to write an end and endings are interesting and hard, and uh, but also worth doing. Um, but it's also quite sad because I'm... I love these characters. <laughs> was it like saying goodbye to an old friend? Yes, made doubly uh, complicated by the fact that um, I, I've talked about this before that that the books were inspired by my own children, mm-hmm. particularly when my son was born and, and my son uh, is Luke and the narrator is Luke and now and Lara is in the books and my daughter subsequently we called Lara. So it gets a bit, yeah, the, the line between reality and fiction in our house is... Uh, is, a, is kind of erased actually yeah do you not get really confused you're like which oh, Luke yes. and which Laura am I talking to oh, I have goodness. to I have to clarify to people I'm talking about real Luke and not not fictional Luke <gasps> I bet your son is a little bit confused by that as well he's like uh, am I real Luke dad yeah yeah well actually he's completely disinterested in the series which is you know a great pain oh my. no no does he <laughs> like superheroes no he absolutely can't be bothered with superheroes but Lara who's three is a huge superhero fan and uh, um, is making up for for his lack of interest. In saying that, he has now read the first two books and he said, he did that thing, it was a backhanded compliment, he said, uh, he's, after the first one, he said, it's one of the best books I've ever <gasps> read, Dad. And I was like, well, on the one hand, that's really nice, but what do you mean one of the best? Yeah, and it depends on how many books he's <laughs> yeah, read as well, doesn't yeah, well, it? Well, Like, true. if he's read, like, three <laughs> books, it's like, all oh, right, okay, well, fine, thanks. Yeah, well, like, I guess, you know, any praise is good praise. Um, I think if you're a writer, it has to be unalloyed unconditional love otherwise oh you see here the what do you mean by that oh, yeah otherwise it's not worth it is it yeah. oh we should say I mean this series of books has done phenomenally well everybody loves them and we've got the newest one is my cousin is a time traveller yes uh, so I mean I was going to say what's it about but it seems a <laughs> well, bit obvious but yeah I know but well it's worth saying I mean um, for very very briefly because uh, it needs a tiny bit of setup. I mean the, the, the series is about Luke Parker and Zach Parker and Luke is a comic book mad 11 year old Zach couldn't care less and in the first book Zach gets superpowers Luke misses out and they they continue having these wonderful superhero adventures for four books and in the fifth book they discover that their cousin Dina 
Um, as a time traveller, I won't go into the details of how and why, but that basically <laughs> in a kind of parallel, I, I could actually write the books of uh, Dina's books, but she's been having time travel adventures while they've been having superhero adventures. And now the, the two storylines collide and she comes back from the future uh, to tell them that in the future there has been an uprising of the machines, specifically domestic appliances. Uh, yeah, and around Bromley, the Bromley area is stuff. Well, yeah, right? yes, that is kind of ground zero um, yeah. from all my stories um, uh, um, in this series. And so, yes, so so in the future, a Servitron 2000 washer dryer following a, a 30 degree eco wash became, becomes self-aware and, uh, and decides to take over the world. Um, in a very domestic appliance humdrum sort of way um, and and so uh, Dina comes back to say We've, we can avert this uh, but this is what we have to do and um, that's that's where we pick up How does Luke feel? Because obviously he always wanted to be the superhero and Zach nearest the beginning of the book is kind of ready to give up a little bit Yes Zach that happens very early on Zach's basically throwing in the cape Yeah and um uh, it gets quite complicated. It's not as simple as he'd like it to be. Um, but yes, um, and Luke, well, Luke is, um, Luke, is, Luke is the same, but almost up until the very last page of the book, Luke, Luke continues to be the embittered 11-year-old who's mm-hmm. who's absolutely furious that he missed out on superpowers. Um, and now again, he missed out on time travel powers too. It seems to be happening to everyone. And of course, his, his next door neighbour, uh, Lara, is dark flutter it's not really a spoiler it's, it's a few years old now she's another superhero and it seems like everyone around him is special and chosen and he has missed out um, or is that the case so that's what the final book is kind of is about it must be so sad to say goodbye to luke and also i guess as well did you have to like research it quite a lot to kind of get the last book to be like time traveler standard you, you you're a doctor think, who fan. yes i am a doctor who fan yeah um i think the, the the important thing to know about um time travel stories is with a very few honorable exceptions they don't work um time right. travel as a plot device really causes you problems interesting uh, yeah yeah well there's always a the thing like, well wait a minute if they've got the power to time travel and something goes wrong then why not just time travel to the point before it went wrong and avoid it yeah. and and then if you fix it but then the bad guys could go back before that and then they could make it worse again and, da, 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 and it's sort of endless like a never ending loop yeah, isn't it exactly yeah. exactly which um which lots of writers explore um i do not in this one <laughs> um, it is it is a plot device to get to a certain point and um I did not do any research whatsoever. Amazing. No. Great. I, lo- I love that. It's like somebody who's just not revised for the exams and just like smashed yeah, it anyway. I winged it, yeah. <laughs> Cause, so yeah, it must be a, a kind of topic that you'd like, the science fiction and the kind of that kind of area. I do. I love it. I think as a kid, um, my mum would take me to the library every Saturday and those were the shelves that I, I, I rushed towards. I loved uh, it. Well, in those days, it was Robert Heinlein and Harry Harrison and um, lots of British sci-fi authors as well. And, and I think uh, a bit later on, you know, Douglas Adams, who I'm not sure you would ever really call a sci-fi author. Oh, I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is something of its own. It's something, um, uh, yeah, u- unique and original. And um, that that threw a switch in my head and uh, changed me as a human being um, forever. Because Douglas uh, Adams is obviously a very funny writer. And also yeah. these books are really funny as well. Is it difficult to write funny books? Um Yes, I think I find, well, I find writing just so difficult, increasingly difficult. I keep saying, wait a minute, shouldn't it be getting easier? I've done this a lot <laughs> now. And I now find it, it just gets harder and harder. And funny is, um, I think it, it, 
it's like anything you i think with with humor for kids you could go the fart gag route and get laughs Mm -hmm. very easily and i've chosen to avoid that Um, it doesn't interest me and um i think it's just also not my sense of humor um and so i create that problem (laughs) of trying to be funny in other ways you've made it hard for yourself (laughs) yes yes and Um, you don't fancy writing the books from from dina's point of view like from the cousin's point of view um i think then i know what i'm going to do for the next series i know where it begins you've got hold of the series uh well of course oh my goodness i'm I'm on the roller coaster here guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) doesn't stop can't get off um (laughs) Uh, so yes, yeah, so so, um, but the, yeah, that that I can't, I, I daren't talk about it because it's in that stage where it's a fragile little flower of an idea. Okay, um, and and I, I, if I say it to you and you make a face like, mm, yeah, then that'll you'll be know. it. It'll be awful. I can't. I won't be able to write. It, I think. Don't judge your future work on my face. That would be a terrible thing to do. Absolutely terrible. Is there one thing in the book that readers should look out for, or your favourite bit that to write? Um. I had a little poke at the idea of um, novels written by celebrities in in a very gentle kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is a celebrity authored novel that might be the most dangerous book in the universe. Um, and um, I'm quite proud of that, the way that that kind of figures through the story and figures into the story. Yes. Okay, well, that's a very good place to, uh, <laughs> to look for. Uh, lovely. Well, we should say the book will be out right now. Uh, My Cousin is a Time Traveller by David Solomons. And everybody needs to go and get it and also read all of the other books as well. Absolutely. Good good plan. Yeah, that's, Let's that's, do that. Yeah, yeah. Read all, all five of them. Get them in there. And uh, I look forward to seeing you for the next series, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. And finally on the podcast, we are chatting to Christopher Edge, author of a brand new book called The Longest Night of Charlie Noon. I'm joined in the studio by Christopher Edge, author of The Longest Night of Charlie Moon. Noon. Hello. Hi, thanks. Now, uh, I love this book so, so much. And Thank you. I'm so nervous about speaking about it on the radio. I need I need you to tell the listeners what it's about. Okay, yes, there's quite a few twists and turns in, in, in the story. So The Longest Night of Charlie Noon is a story about three children, Charlie, Dizzy and Johnny, who one night decide to go into the woods after school because they found strange sticks arranged in patterns on the path there. And uh, Dizzy thinks they've been left by a spy, Johnny thinks he's been left by a monster called Old Crony, and they decide to head into the woods to find out the truth. But things then take a very strange turn. Oh, they really do. <laughs> they really do. Now, um, having read uh, uh, the last book about Maisie Day, yeah. I feel like you like to mess with your readers. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I think the thing is, you know, stories are designed to keep you reading you know there's lots of distractions so I like I like when I like stories to put twists and turns in they're going to keep the readers turning the pages and yeah they do kind of mess your head a little bit there's a few strange turns that this story takes so I yeah I don't know how much to really give away but mm. um it's a bit kind of like time turnery not nothing as really as you think it is in the book and it is it is a long night but you don't know how long it really is for Charlie no, exactly. Yeah, this this is the night. This is one night in the woods, but this night could last a lifetime. So Charlie, in in the experiences that go on in the story, gets glimpses of things, and they might be things to come, or they might be things in the past. And but at its heart, it's a story about finding your way. You know, they're lost in the woods, and Charlie is a character who feels lost in lots of ways. And what I wanted to do in Charlie Noon is show that there, there is a way out of the woods and 
Charlie can face fears and find the way out. Because you know that Charlie also has problems going on at home as well. Yes. And that's kind of just ever so slightly just referenced every now and again. Yes. And that's another way of feeling lost, I guess. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, in a way, you know, when you write stories, sometimes, you know, when you're grown up, people talk about childhood and they talk about it being a golden time, you know, filled with carefully days, climbing trees, you know. And actually, when you're growing up, a lot of the time when you're a child, you can feel powerless. You can feel lost and, and you just can't wait to grow up and escape. So in a way, in The Longest Night of Charlie Noon, what I'm trying to do is send a message back and saying, you know, there is a way out. You know, you can face your fears and you can get through things. So hope, hopefully it's a message of hope. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, how, how do you plan this book? Because it is quite a tricky one to sort out in your head, surely. Uh, it's a story. I mean, I kind of had this image of Charlie and Dizzy going into the woods after school and the story just kind of unspooled from then. So... When I, I kind of splurged it all out in the first draft, and then when I went back, I kind of tweaked and changed things to make things connect up uh, because there's lots of references to other events yeah. and but also other stories as well. Like, so there's a bit where uh, Charlie remembers leading the wind in the willows, which is another story where characters get lost in the woods. So, yeah. It was quite fun making things connect. There's lots of references to totally different things like uh, sweets and chocolate bars. Yes. That I'd not heard of. No. And Charlie hadn't heard of them either. Yeah. Like Spangles and Fuse and yeah. And, uh, yeah. And ban- Banjo, is that one as well? Yeah. Banjo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it's just really fascinating the way you've, you've written it. Um, it's almost like you don't really know where, the, the listener doesn't know where they are either. The reader, sorry, doesn't know where they are either. No, it's, it's definitely a mystery story. But all the, all the, cl- when you get to the end uh, and you find things mm. out, you'll then, hopefully it's a book that will reward the reading because you can go back and you'll see things in a new light So yeah. because all the clues are there on the page but when you read it for the second or the third time they take on new meanings. And you say clues, literally there are clues because you've got uh, like, sort of like Morse code, semaphore, lots of different kind of like codes in the book where you can read them yourself. Yes, yeah, so code breaking is a big part of the book so Charlie is someone who's very good at solving codes so from the sticks that they find on the path to a uh, bird song that suddenly starts to transform into Morse code. Charlie's got to solve these codes and puzzles, and hopefully they're the clues that can help lead the way through the woods. And was that something that you used to do as well? Were you part of the kind of scouting movement? Because this all came from scouting for boys, is that right? The book. Yeah. So I, Charlie's inspiration, at least. I was the worst cub scout in the world. Right. You know, I, I, I'm not someone who's a natural outdoors person. I'm not very good on the canvas, but. The nice thing about writing this story is I've, I've be- I kind of, in a way, have gone back and have discovered my love of the outdoors now. So I've kind of gone, uh, gone camping and set the tent up in the back garden and looked at the stars at night with my son and things. So I've, I've now reconnected with the natural world in a way that I didn't when I was a Cub Scout and was <laughs> rubbishly kind of trying to solve Morse code and not being very good. Which was your favourite code to, to put into the book? I love the sim. I, I do love Morse code. I love the fact... Uh, the simplicity of it, you know, so that's one that we all know, don't we? Dot, 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 dash, 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 yeah, dot, sure. dot, dot, SOS, SOS, danger. But what I liked about doing it in the book is uh, I found out about a bird who had a kind of call that sounds slightly like Morse code. And I thought, what would happen if you slowed that bird's call down and it actually became Morse code in the story? So that was quite cool. Because I enjoyed the, the Freemasons code as well. Yes. I didn't know that was a thing. Pig pen cipher, it's called. So yes, it's where... Uh, they, they find the sticks on the pasta when you arrange sticks into certain ways 
And if you look at Pigpen Cipher, if you search it on the internet, you can look at the actual code. And it looks like just two knots and crosses boards. Yeah. Or hashtags, as yes. someone said at the weekend. And then crosses, <laughs> and then you fill in the letter of the alphabet. And then if you take the parts of the good away and just use sticks to represent that, it gives you the letter. So that was quite fun, yeah. Do you fancy writing your next book in some kind of code? Uh, <laughs> I think my editor would freak if I did that. <laughs> I, am t- I might just send the same book again, but change the font to Wingdings. <laughs> that would be amazing, do that. <laughs> now, reading the book, I did think you must be, I mean, you said you've just started learning about going, you know, the great outdoors and stuff. Are you quite good at cryptic crosswords as well? Are you good at codes and that kind of thing? I will, I'm better at words. So I'm quite, I'm, I'm okay at crosswords, but okay. I'm not good. I got one of those GCHQ puzzle books. Right. Which are kind of mind-bending. I couldn't do it. That was part of the search of the book, looking, find out more about codes. But actually, those really hard, cryptic ones, no, I'm not very good. Did you have to do much research for it? Because did you, did you have to look back again? I don't want to do too many spoilers. No, no. Did you have to look back in time? or? Yes, I mean, lots of this search was a search into the natural world. So I was reading kind of nature writers and, and lots of books set in the outdoors. Reading books about time and fears of time by people like, uh, Professor Carlo, the Valian people, and then history, and yeah, lots of different. This, this is a, probably, I mean, some leaders who've read things like The Infinite Lives Maze Day know that I do lots of scientific research in my mm. stories, but this is the one that I've done the most mind melting research for. Of all of the scrapes that uh, Johnny, Dizzy, and Charlie get into, which was your favourite bit to write? There's a bit, the part of the story where uh, they're trying to find their way through the woods and they find a river and then Johnny falls into the river and Charlie has to save him um, but that river then suddenly becomes an ocean so that was quite a lot of fun to write it is an exceptional book I loved it so much thank you so much and please tell me you have another one on the way very soon uh, hopefully something coming next year but yes I can't say too much about it yet alright excellent well I look forward to it uh, Christopher Edge we should say The Longest Night of Charlie Noon is out now now right now it's a beautiful blue cover you can't miss it and um, everybody should go and get it immediately thank you very much yes thank you so much to Christopher Edge to David Solomons to A.M. Howell and to Imogen for popping by the Fun Kids Book Club podcast it is just time to give you the answer to my big brain busting book question today's was how many words are there in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone I can tell you well, I gave you three options, I guess. I can tell you the options were 76,944, 100,002, or 54,032. It was a really tricky question today. The answer was 76,944. That is a lot of words. That's more words than I can actually imagine right now. If you got the answer right, well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. Maybe go and read Harry Potter again. That's pretty much it from me this week. If you've liked the podcast, subscribe, tell your friends, go and read a book, and I'll see you really soon. Bye. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com.